copywriters, we get to hide behind our keyboards, writing the words that put our clients in the spotlight. And for many of us, that is just where we want to be. But are we doing ourselves a bit of a disservice? Today, I'm going to be talking to Mike Kim about building a personal brand and what it can mean for us as copywriters and business owners. Mike's a copywriter, but he's also a business coach, a marketing strategist who specializes in personal branding and product launch strategies. He's worked with some of today's most influential thought leader brands and regularly presents training with copywriting legend Ray Edwards. His own podcast, Brand You, is where he talks about all those things and more. But today, he's all ours. Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. My name is Belinda Weaver. I write words and I also teach others how to write words and grow successful businesses around those words. Now, my most excellent co-host, Kate Toon, isn't here today as we're on the wrong side of the ocean to manage the time zones, but I do have Mike Kim. So, hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hello. I am here. I'm on the right side of the earth, and uh, we're going we're gonna to have fun today. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So, before we get into all the personal branding stuff, because I've got a lot of questions, got a lot of questions, I <laughs> want to dig into your early music careers because before copywriting, marketing, and branding, you traveled the world as a songwriter and musician. True story? I did. It's a true story. Not many people know this because it was a very different life. Um, but I've been playing music kind of on and off since I was a little kid. Uh, actually, my my maternal grandfather was uh, like a really well-known vocal teacher and performer in Korea. Uh, and he unfortunately passed away when I was really little, so I don't ever remember meeting him. But grandpa must have given me my uh, music chops because all my aunts and uncles on his side of the family were in music, um, except for my mother. And oh, she no. did art. <laughs> Yeah, she did art, so it skipped her. But I got that whole art and music side from that. And being Korean, there's, you know, there's like two things that are true of Koreans, okay? Uh, number one, your parents will make you become a doctor, lawyer. That's, that's number one. And number mm -hmm. two, you're going to church, no matter what. You know, so, and so I was, I was right in that boat. And uh, so I did a lot of church music um, to the point where I got really good at it and was pretty involved in that scene for a few years. Um, and recorded albums and, and toured and all that sort of thing. And I haven't touched a guitar in probably two years now. All my calluses are gone. But uh, I traded a keyboard for like an actual laptop keyboard and started writing copy. Yeah. But it had a lot of impact on how I market things, to be honest. I love that because, I mean, yeah. I think almost every copywriter starts their career with, I was doing something else and then I figured out copywriting was a thing I could do. But I'm yeah. not sure I've ever heard such a a big transition. So yeah. for sharing that Christian Christian, was it Christian rock or yeah, yeah. not rock? It was, it was more on um, the stuff they play at a church. So I worked on at a church that was um, fairly large for the area. It was in new England and they had about maybe 12 or 1300 people at this church. So they hired me full time to run the music department. So basically what? I was the music director for the church um, I had a volunteer team, you know, had to re had to do all that, had to put on events. Um, I like to joke with people outside of being a wedding planner. It's the only other profession where you have a live event every single weekend. <laughs> and so I, I had to learn how to market and do all these sorts of things. So that's really actually looking back in all seriousness where I really learned to write copy. I, I was always decent with words. 
but when we had to write ads for conferences or for, you know, um, social media that started back then, a lot of that, I had to cut my teeth there and, and nobody else could write it. So I just wrote it. How old were you doing all this? Oh gosh, I was probably like 29, 30. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm 41. I know I don't look good. It's Asian. It's Asian. <laughs> We don't age until we're like 60. And then when we turn 60, I'll gonna, I'm going to look like I'm 80 overnight. Yeah, that's, that happens. But until, 59, yeah, until I'm 59, I'm good. All you right. know, so, but that's how it started, yeah. I love that. That was a surprising little nugget that I was like, oh, I have to ask about yeah. this. <laughs> fast, forward to, fast forward to when you were the CMO, which is the chief marketing officer mm-hmm. for the you know, multi-million dollar company. Then you switch to running your own consultancy. And this is where mm-hmm. I want to really tap into personal branding. So when you went out on your own, because um, I was at the Copywriter Club in Real Life Conference, I saw the desperately unhappy photos of you working before <laughs> you went out on your own. And I think everyone in the room connected with that moment because we have those photos too. That yeah. deep sadness, <laughs> that happiness. Um, but was personal branding something you immediately started on when you moved out to do your own stuff? No, no, it was not. Um, and I think anyone who's tuning in probably can resonate with this. I took this marketing job and I knew I didn't want to stay there, but I was like, you know, I was at that time I was probably about 34 years old. Okay. So all of this has happened relatively recent, right? I went through two big career changes in the last 10 years or so. And, um, I started a blog on the side because Belinda, I didn't have the outlet that I had in music. Mm. So I didn't have a creative outlet. So I just decided to blog and uh, see if I could get, you know, my thoughts out that way. I wasn't speaking anymore and I wasn't doing music anymore. So I created this blog and then nobody read it. Uh, so I figured maybe I should learn how to do this. And I joined like an early like blogging course with this guy and, learned a little bit of marketing. And then when I got to the copywriting module, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, Oh my gosh, I totally love this. I totally get it. And I see this is like the least sexy part of any of this marketing stuff, but it's the most important. I had the foresight to recognize that because I'd done so much writing in music Mm. And it's not what people think. Like you you wouldn't think it takes that much writing to market something, but it does. So when I started this blog, I didn't really have anything to say and didn't have anything to write about. So I just wrote about the stuff I was doing at work and some things I was learning in books that I was reading. And a few of the people who were in the community of that blogging community that I joined wanted to talk to me about hiring me as a freelancer because they were like, Oh, you kind of know what you're talking about. And you know, I joke with people, you don't have to be that good. You just don't have to suck. Yes. And that's what, <laughs> that's what happened. Right. And, um, so I started just taking really random writing assignments. I didn't have a niche. I struggled with the idea of niching down at all. And if you asked me, who is your ideal client? It would be anyone who would pay me. Mm-hmm. And, Then when a dentist hired me and I realized I have no idea what I'm doing or an attorney hired me, I was like, this is painful. I'd rather not do this. Yes. Then I decided, oh, wait, the community I'm in a part, I'm a part of this blogger community. These people all want to build a personal brand. 
And since I'm doing that, why don't I just help them make their writing better? And that's how it started. Okay. So how, what did you focus on when it came, like what was the moment where you said, I'm going to double down on building my own personal brand? Because, you know, I, I think we can all connect with that idea is like when we get started, mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out how to work with clients. We're trying to figure out how to get paid. We're trying to figure out how to build a website. And it's the idea of building a personal brand can be a bit terrifying to really put ourselves out there. So when was the moment where you were like, right, Mike King is becoming a thing? Um, I knew before I started. And the reason was because I was in music and because I did understand personal branding to a point. I never, I never, there were no books about it. There wasn't, you know, nothing like that. But intuitively I understood it's better to be paid as the, the, the brains rather than the hands mm-hmm. of, you know, of a business or organization. So when I started that program, it was actually called Platform University. It was by a guy named Michael Hyatt. And he had become a blogger and started writing books and selling online courses. And I was like, I think I can do that. I just don't know how to do it. And when I started getting these freelance contracts for like, you know, really low paying contracts, like 500 bucks, a thousand dollars, keep in mind, I was making a hundred thousand at my day job. Yeah. So it felt like I was actually killing my time taking a 500 or a thousand dollar contract. And that taking 10 or 15 hours a week when I was making much more money at work. Mm. So the transition, the bigger transition for me was I already have a client. It's called my day job. So anytime left over, I'm going to work on building my personal brand and I'm only going to take contracts if they're with clients who can elevate my personal brand. So what happened was that some of the teachers in that course, I caught their eye because I was putting out good content. I was actually doing what they taught in the courses And a guy, yeah, I know, novel thought, right? Uh, A friend of Michael's hired me for an email campaign. And even though it wasn't much money, I took it because now I could say I wrote for this guy. Yeah. And then I would put it online and people like, oh, you, that guy hired you. You must be good. And that snowballed. And Mm -hmm. so I was really, really selective about the clients I took. So that was just my path. I just had a good job. And I didn't have kids. I didn't have all these other crazy things that I had to take care of. Um, But that's how I leveraged it. I love that. And I love the idea of like you don't have to climb the ladder slowly and show like, you know, and really be miserable. You can jump straight to the top if you're intentional Mm -hmm. about the work you take on and who you work with. So I like that. First big lesson, everyone. So I think one of the the resistances people have or the points of friction with this idea of a personal brand is I think, well, in order to have a personal brand, you have to be a celebrity, which obviously makes a lot of introverts go, "Mm mm-mm, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that idea? Is that that true? Okay, yeah. So most people don't realize this. I'm an introvert. I'm 1000% an introvert. Like I, this quarantine, I am like, I was built for this. <laughs> you know, been training your whole life. <laughs> yeah. I've been training my whole life for this. Um, so I get that. I get that piece of it. Um, and I would also say that most of the most, many public performers are actually introverts, speakers, musicians, actors. They're actually introverts. 
because as an introvert, you know, we all know you're an introvert. You're going to sit there and you're going to brood in your thoughts a lot more. You're going to be much more contemplative, contemplative, right? And so that was actually a strength for me. And the idea that I could sit behind my laptop, share thoughts, edit those thoughts in a blog post until I felt they were perfect and then get them out there and not have to talk to anybody. Like that was beautiful to me because whenever I would give speeches or give talks, I would always edit. Right. And I'd be like, Oh, I could have done this better. And it's really a one and done delivery with writing and copywriting in particularly. It really helped me express myself and get comfortable with that part of it and not have to worry about all the fanfare or the how do I look or how do I sound or how do I dress? Because those are all different. That's a whole nother bag of potatoes that you got to deal with. Mm. So being an introvert, sharing my content online through a blog or through a podcast in a non-live setting actually helped me exercise solely. It's just like isolating that one muscle of content creation without having to worry about what I'm wearing, how I sound, am I looking people in the eye? All -hmm. these things that have to do with performance were subtracted. So I actually viewed it as a huge blessing, to be honest. I love that. So what I'm hearing so far is that, you know, you've said the performance part of your personal brand is just one part. So what I want to dig into is what are the elements of a strong personal brand? Yeah, I think, um, I think first what really helped me as I was networking in this space, and I'd love to share about that. I'd be happy to share on that. But what really helped me network much easier was my content because if people had heard of me before I showed up to an event, it made the conversation blend. It made the conversation so much easier. Yeah. Right. Like you don't have to have that awkward. What do you do? It's like, Oh, Hey, you're Mike. I've read some of your stuff. Oh, thank you. It made me feel much more at ease. It made them feel much more at ease. And even though I wasn't a celebrity, you still have a touch of that same phenomenon. Hey, I've heard of you. Whereas I go into other events during those seasons that were outside of that personal brand niche and I didn't know a single soul there and it was so laborious. It was like, oh, pulling teeth. So I would say that for all of us as copywriters, if you can just write content online, be engaged in the Facebook groups that you're in, uh, write good blog content. If you have a podcast, put it out there, invite some guests when people meet you at those events and you're trying to connect, it's going to be much easier. Yeah. And like you, you mentioned laborious and networking, two words that go together so, so well. <laughs> it is really hard work. But I love the idea of using content, which as writers, it's what we do mm-hmm. as the basis and the inroad to building a strong personal brand. But what about what about the the photos and the headshots and all that. Yeah. Kind of, when does that come in? Oh, it, okay. So it was all painful. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm really glad you're asking. You're making me go down memory lane, which is good. Um, I, 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 uh, I had my headshots taken with an iPhone, you know, like iPhone one, you know, and the picture was terrible. Um, I remember my first quote unquote real headshot. Uh, I went to Michael Hyatt's platform conference Mm-hmm. This is the first business event I had ever gone to, right? And um, thankfully, I'd been blogging for about a year. So the people there recognized me, 
they kind of knew who I was um, as just a student. But he had a little corner where you could pay a photographer a hundred bucks and they would take your professional headshot. And I used that sucker for like three years. Nice. And um, that was like the start of it. And um, I just figured, hey, I don't need to do a whole photo shoot, but I do need a, a picture for Twitter. Uh, let's just get this done. So I did that and it was just a growth process through the years. I remember then my next photos that I needed, I was like, well, if I want to present myself on my website effectively, I really need some good pictures. So I tried to find pictures of me when I was speaking back in my old career. Mm -hmm. And um, I used those for a little while. I just used what I had. I was working a full-time job at the time. I didn't, I didn't, you know, even if I had great pictures, I wouldn't, I would not have known how to set them up on my website. So those photos were actually an accumulation of different, you know, photos that I'd taken over the years. And I'll be honest, the first time I ever did a real photo shoot, a real photo shoot, and this is the only time I've done a real photo shoot, um, up until like a few months ago was actually the start of 2016. That's quite so recent. I'd, yeah, I'd been in the space from 2013 for till 2016, so four years. Never did a photo shoot. I hired a friend to do my photo shoot. I realized what kind of photos I needed. Right by then, I had learned how to do opt-in pages and landing pages, and I knew I needed some photos where I was off to the side so you could fit the copy into the other side. And um, we did a photo shoot, and but it was very, very recent. It was very, I was very far along into my business before I had that done. And by that point, I had done hundreds of webinars, podcasts, interviews. And so I was much more comfortable in front of a camera uh, by that point in my career. So, mm. you know, it, it was very iterative for me as I went along. And I love that idea because it's really easy for us to get hung up and not make progress with mm -hmm. building our personal brand because we're like, oh, I need to wait till I, uh, my hair looks nice or I need to wait until I lose 10 pounds or like whatever BS excuse we give ourselves, mm -hmm. we can't get professional photos done. But I love the fact that it comes with something to say first. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Really great headshots. Uh, nothing if you haven't got anything worth saying. I right, remember the right. first time I met Kate Toon, um, we met in Melbourne to have dumplings together and I had the photo on my website was the selfie with, you know, a terrible phone and um, she was the first person who actually went, you need to get some better photos than that. That's a <laughs> dreadful photo and it looks nothing like you, by the way. Yeah. Um, so if someone's thinking like, okay, it's time I need to actually, no, I'm going to go back. What about copywriters who have a business name? Like for me, it's copyright matters. Um, and the reason I did that is because when I started, I was like, oh, I don't want my name in my business. Mm. I was even too timid to do that. So where does building a personal brand come into play when you have a business that's not your name? Yeah, that's a great question. So I had the same struggle when I started out. And I thought maybe I should name my business something. And because I was so slow in making a decision, 
what happened was people tried to hire me before I had a business established because of that little community I was in. And I realized they don't, they don't want, you know, apexwritingsolutions.com. They just want Mike. So my yeah. big challenge was I couldn't get MikeKim.com because somebody had it. So I just, <laughs> I just stuck TV at the end of all my domains. And so I was MikeKim.tv. That was my website and all my social handles. So this because Mike Kim is a very common name. Um, I, I was lucky in that I was too lazy to set up a business. And in that time in, peer, in interim, people hired me. And then I was fortunate to realize they're just hiring me, not mm. my company. And um, looking back now, it was the right decision in that I, I never really intended to build an agency. Now, if, if someone's sitting here now and, and saying, well, Mike, I do want to build an agency with the express intent of selling that agency one day, then I would say, okay, create a business name outside of your personal brand, your, your actual name, mm. because the end goal is somebody buys that intellectual property or that agency or that product. Right. But no one is going to buy mykim.com from me ever really. Um, and I realized that. So why tie myself up into growing a brand name? That also means though, I know I have to work this business understanding that I'm never going to be able to sell it. That mm -hmm. when I stop working, it's going to end. And I'd better, you know, make some money and save up to buy some other things that, you know, I can sell like property or whatever. That's a whole yeah. other conversation as an entrepreneur. But I know in this business, I'll never be able to sell it. But that's okay because the trade-off for me is I can just be me and I don't have to hire staff. I don't have to go find clients. I don't, um, you know, to feed a whole system, I can just be myself. So mm -hmm. that, that's the way I would encourage those of you who are sitting on the fence about that to look at it. And later on, you can always start an agency. And chances are, if you've built a strong personal brand and you start an agency, people will say, oh my gosh, Mike has an agency? I want to hire those guys. Because I've yeah. had people ask me that all the time. Um, and then I can just brand it that way separately. And for, for copywriters or business owners who have the business name, uh, me, I'm using this as my own personal consult with you now, Mike. So when you build a personal brand, you can also say, this is my business, right? So it's like co-building, like pillars. You build your company, your business brand, and your personal brand, even though they're yeah. not. Oh, yeah. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but the, the unique thing about that is that the person, the founder of the brand is oftentimes almost synonymous with the business. Yeah. So we think about Joanna Weeb and copy hackers. They're one and the same almost, right? Jeff Walker and product launch formula, Donald Miller and story brand. It's going to be very difficult to separate those two from one another. Um, even though it does provide a, you know, a different perception that they have a business and a product, it's still peanut butter and jelly. There's no real one without the other. Yeah. And so that's okay. And that's okay. Right. That's okay. Um, but when I was starting out, I just, I just knew I didn't really want to manage people. I just knew enough about myself to know I didn't want to manage people and hiring and payroll and all that stuff. I just wanted to be kind of a small one man band with mm -hmm. contractors. That makes sense. So when you're building a personal brand, um, 
do you have to like what's the starting what are some some of those cornerstone pieces that have to be in place like I imagine you have to stand for something so that would tell me you have to have a clear idea of what your core values are would that be one of them yeah definitely so one of the little exercises that I walk everybody through whenever I work with them even on a campaign even if they're a a very well-established brand I ask them what I just call the PB3 which are just three questions the personal brand three the first question is what pisses you off Mm-hmm. The second is what breaks your heart? And the third is what's the big problem you're trying to solve? And so what pisses you off is the injustice that you see or that you feel. What breaks your heart is the compassion that you feel. What's the big problem you're trying to solve? That is your business. That's your product, right? It's nothing more than that. So when, and I discovered this kind of during my whole journey, um, but when I, when I asked myself what really pisses me off, it wasn't bad copy necessarily in the beginning. It wasn't ugly websites. That, that's not what it was. It was this idea that um, someone could tell me what days I had to work and what days I could see my family. And so for me, it was kind of like this never again moment. I had Thanksgiving with my family and that same job that I worked for as the CMO, they called me into work the day after Thanksgiving. It was still totally unnecessary. And it really ticked me off. And that started me down this path of, I don't think I want to work for anyone anymore. And then as I got into that space, what broke my heart, this doesn't happen overnight. It, it just came through the process. But then what broke my heart was as I was joining these blogging programs and seeing what was possible and taking action and moving into that direction. I realized that there are a lot of other people who are way smarter than me, but they just resigned themselves to a life that, you know what, I'm always going to work for somebody that broke my heart. Mm. And as a result of that, they were less than who they could be, or they were very depressed and they were, their families weren't happy. They weren't happy. So the problem I intended to solve when I started out was I want to help that small sliver of the population who wants to become self-employed and build a business based off what they know, their expertise. And I'm going to help them through marketing because most of them don't know how to do that. I did not say ugly websites and bad copy ticks me off. So that message actually helped resonate with a lot of people who happen to need marketing help but they were really resonating with me because of my life message. And that's how yeah. that started. And I, that's, that's obviously the, the kernel, the seed that sparks all the great content that comes before worrying about how your hair looks in your headshot. And I love those three yeah. questions and I will put those in the show notes because it really comes down to what, what's your purpose what do you believe in? What kind of, how can you make a stand? And what are you immovable on? You know, because mm-hmm. that's, it's really important to figure that out. And I love the idea that it doesn't just pop out. These are ideas that sometimes take a long time to come together. But I feel like when they do come together, you go click, boom, I'm off. Yeah. And it's, it's a struggle because I know a lot of people will hear that and say, well, um, I don't, I don't really I just want to get out of my day job, Belinda. I just want to get away from work, Mike, you know, and I get that. And sort of like what's happening is that there are two forces at work and they're kind of almost in opposition to each other, but that tension is where we need to be able to live. So right now a person like that is feeling a present negative 
and they're envisioning a future positive, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all we can see right now. I don't want to get out of my day job. I hate it, right? Present negative to future positive. But then what happens is as you go along that route and as you get closer and closer and closer, or even once you make the leap, what happens is you start um, coming against this other force that's in, in, in the opposite direction. You're like, wait, there's a present positive. I should be grateful for my job right now. I should be grateful for what I have. Maybe I'm being an ingrate. And then you run up against this um, future negative. So it's kind of like, on one hand, it's future present negative to future positive, but on the other hand, it's present positive to future negative. And that tension is going to last a little bit of time. It's going to be there. But in that tension is where you start to answer the questions, you know, that, that I've posed here. And I just want to kind of take that burden off people's shoulders. Don't expect this to snap of a finger come overnight. It's a tension that we all have to live in. And just realize that at some point, to resonate with the market, it's got to be more than, I want to write your copy because I hate my day job and you're paying me. <laughs> it's got, you got to be saved, not just from something, but to something. And that yeah. to something needs to become that message that people are going to resonate with. So give yourself time, but realize that is the message. That is the marketing that's going to, that's going to really propel you into that space. And I think for many of us, like you were saying, there is the clients that eventually, and hopefully it happens not, it doesn't take too long, but we get clients where we're like, yeah, no, not you ever mm -hmm. again. And we build up. And so for many of us, that's how we find our niche is by whittling away the people who we don't want to work with. And that's really a big part of that evolution as well. It's like, well, who, what, why, why do I even want to do this? Who do I want to work with? And what are those immovable parts of my purpose? Um, yeah, so I love yeah. that. So we got a question from a listener, um, Myrna Segal, who's also in one of whom in my community. And she was asking about strategy to communicate these beliefs, these core values through content. What are some different ways that we can let people know, apart from like, I'm writing a rant and I'm going to put that rant on my blog and Facebook and mm -hmm. LinkedIn. How do we mm -hmm. represent those beliefs in our content? Uh, it's a great question. I think um, I, I, I've been using this phrase a lot lately. The framework frames the work. And so for me, what really made the difference was once I started taking these random questions and these random things I was doing with both myself and my clients and starting to create frameworks. Like that name I just gave you, PB3. That's not, that's not a mind-blowing, earth-shattering name. But yeah. as soon as I put it into that little, very, very vanilla name and drawing a Venn diagram, people are like, oh my gosh, that makes so, so, so much sense. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's great. Right. Or uh, in one of my personal branding courses, I have seven steps to, you know, a profitable personal brand. I just call it the brand you blueprint. Mm -hmm. and it's just seven steps into the diagram is just a staircase, which is each of the steps. But I have people routinely ask, oh, this is step four. I get it. Okay. We need this before step five. So chances are that if you were to have to present your content, all of this stuff in a very short amount of time, you'd probably listicle it. We do this as copywriters already all the time, put it into steps or a certain framework, 
um, that frames the work that you're going to do with your clients. And even though you might think it's cheesy, because I think some of my frameworks are pretty cheesy, it really helps people simplify. I love what uh, Dan Sullivan said. He's a, he's a coach for many entrepreneurs. He said, you're, you're either one of two things as an entrepreneur. You're a simplifier or you're a multiplier. I oh, love right. that. Because yeah. I'm a simplifier. Other people I know are multipliers. Like they will blow things. Like they just create, create, create. My creative is in simplifying things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really at my best when I partner with someone who's a multiplier or I'm working with a client who is a multiplier. I mean, they've, they've got ideas, you know, and they want it done yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, they're just a fire hose of content. But I'm like, how do I take all this and distill it down? And I've found my role, if you will, in the entrepreneurial space and realize that these frameworks really help simplify the multiplier and help the multiplier actually gain more traction because it's so simple. So it goes both ways. I love that way of thinking about how, because, you know, we always hear those phrases, how do you add value to your clients? And yeah. But it's true. It's But it's figuring out the ultimate way that, you help other people move forward and mm -hmm. from there with those answers to those questions um creating and you know you said blueprint the roadmap you know framework all these kind of framework. things when you put together a journey for someone to take that can really that's your content strategy right moving people yeah. through the different stages yeah absolutely and i and i tell a lot of stories so um what happens once you create a lot of content is you, you start to get bored with your own content because you're saying it all the time over and over again. One of the frameworks that I've used that has really helped me and it's really helped my clients because it's so simple is big idea, story, solution. And so sometimes I'll have a one liner that I've gotten from a book I've heard in a talk or one of my own. And you know, the Twitter culture and Instagram quote card culture, you just post the big idea. But as a copywriter and as a content creator, I know what's really going to flesh that out and give it substance is a story. So I'll share a big idea, then tell a story and then give the solution of how to live out that big idea. So an example might be, um, one of the things I often say is marketing isn't about closing a sale. It's about opening a relationship. Well, that sounds fine and dandy, but if I tell a story about how I got the gig speaking at Social Media Marketing World for the last three years, it wasn't through selling myself. It was actually through a relationship, through a guy I hired as a business coach, and I became his best student, and he spoke at that event and opened the door. Now, I've got a story that frames it. So, all this marketing for me after speaking at that conference happened through a relationship, not a sale. Let me give you the three steps on what I did. Mm -hmm. to make that happen. Number one, I joined someone else's program. I wasn't so proud or arrogant to think I could get there on my own. Number two, I became their best students. And number three, I attended the event before being asked to speak at it. And so those three things really helped me um, step into new opportunities. Marketing isn't about closing a sale. It's about opening a relationship. That is a one minute Instagram video. Yeah, that is a, a 10 second to read 
Facebook post with a picture of me speaking at social media marketing world. It is an email, boom, micro content done. But even that little framework will help me tell the story of what I believe, what pisses me off, what breaks my heart. I frame it with the big idea, story, and then a solution that has really helped me, Belinda, over the years, just accelerate getting my message out there. I love that. And I imagine for every big idea and the solution, there could be actually a lot of stories showing a lot of different facets of a lot of different ways you work with people and the results they achieve. So you can make the content seem a lot fresher with different stories with the same. Yeah, I posted, I, I, I have a wall of post-its like that where I just will write a big, all the big ideas in one color kind of post-it and I'll just throw up stories and then I'll start mixing and matching. Yeah. Does this story with go with that big idea? Yes. Okay. What's the solution? And it actually gets me triggered in a good way to figure out how to create that content. Um, so now I can change the story depending on the context, but the big idea is always the same. Right. I love if that. We were doing, yeah, we were doing an interview right now on networking. I would tell that story. But if I was talking to somebody who does not believe in podcasting or blogging, I would say marketing isn't about closing a sale. It's about opening a relationship. Let me tell you what happened with my podcast because it's a relationship building channel. Now it becomes so much easier for me to connect with clients or with potential customers or with just my audience and you can mix and match. That is so good for not, not for a few reasons, but I love like the simplicity of that framework. And number two, it gives me a legit reason to go and buy more post-it notes that I clearly have to hide from my children. <laughs> but anything that allows me to buy more stationery is a winner in my camp. But I think Myrna is going to be excited about hearing that answer too. That was awesome. And, you know, the, the stories that we tell attract those kinds of people to us. So, yeah. you know, we would say if you, if you don't like the people coming to you, have a look at the stories you're telling. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, storytelling, yeah, it's, it's so important. Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, I was going to go to the next one because I want to dig into, um, like, how do we get in our own way when we're building a personal brand? What, what mistakes do you see people make? Ooh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. We wait too long. We right. wait too long. Yeah. You got, you got to like, and this goes against, this goes against, I get it. This goes against everything that we are as copywriters, as people who care about every single word that we say, it completely goes against the grain. Um, Many of the personal brand, aspiring personal brand business owners I work with uh, who struggle are from highly regulated industries, government, law, healthcare, education, you say one word wrong, you get a, you know, slap on the wrists mm. and the entrepreneurial space plays by completely different rules. And so I think we get in our way when we overthink and we overanalyze and we don't launch things fast enough. I theorize a lot, but I know, and I've learned at the end of the day, I don't know anything until I see numbers and until I see the data. Um, my list has never grown because I thought about growing a list. It grew because I launched a webinar or I put out a blog post and I put out something ugly and I just realized people didn't really care about that much as much as I thought they did. They just wanted me. Um, so I think we get in our own way, uh, that way. I also think that we get in our own way when we ask 
other people to overly validate us when we don't need it. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, I will say I'm a big fan of any entrepreneur offering and selling a certification program because I'm always for the entrepreneur making money. And I completely understand why they would license or certify people and make them pay for it to use their intellectual property. I want to get to that point one day. But I will also say I've had way too many friends and colleagues buy a certification for the wrong reason. They're buying it because they think that certification will get them leads. It will not unless they promised you that it would. That's not their job. Mm -hmm. But deeper than that, number two, they buy the certification because they feel they need to put a badge on their website where they need validation from someone that they don't need it from. Yes. Your, your validation is going to come through someone opting into your list or liking your post or buying your product or signing up for your coaching program. That is the ultimate validation. And so anything that gets in the way of that and delays it and kicks the can down the road, you are just prolonging your arrival to that place of the future positive. Yes. Because you're not allowing the real market to validate you. Um, I've had funny instances where I've worked, been hired by people who are selling certifications after they've sold what I created for them and asked me to sign up for their certification. I would just laugh because I'm like, hey, I had a business before you guys hired me. I I don't need this badge. And so I politely turn them down, but I understand why they're asking for the sale. Um, I don't resent them for it, but I really do get upset. And I, I will share that with a lot of my students and clients. Don't buy that certification. You don't need it. You know what you need to launch the webinar that you've been thinking about for a year. Because yeah. once you see people actually sign up for it, that'll do a hundred times more than any certification ever will. So I'm real. That's a that's a big one for me, right there. <laughs> that's in the what pisses you off camp, a hundred percent. It is. And, I mean, it is something Kate and I talk about where we hear people do this, and we do it ourselves, where we might buy. A, a course, big or small, and go, I just want to make sure I know all the things I think I know. And then we go, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's a validation purchase, mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. And it's not only a bit of a waste of money, but it erodes our confidence because it does. in the moment we think we don't, we're not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be very, very honest. The, the only investments that I make now, I do buy courses but only if they have tons of swipe files as a copywriter. I will buy that any day of the week. You have a swipe file package and you tell me it's different than stuff I have, I will 1000% buy it, right? Because that makes my life easier right away. Um, I will buy it, you know, when I took uh, a lot of clients, one of the purchases I made was a client proposal template bundle because it just makes my life easier. So I'll invest in that stuff. But anything outside of that, I'm going to invest in coaching one-on-one or in some sort of a group coaching context where I can get the validation I need, the field-tested ideas that I need from a real person, right? Um, I have this whole kind of theory like, you know, uh, courses, coaching, contractors, when do you buy them? I hire a coach 
whenever I am going through a transition in my business or my life, because I want that coach to be able to tell me, here's the next turn that's coming. We got to slow down a little bit. I'm going to tell you what's coming. So I've done that at specific points in my business. I've done that at specific points in my life. You know, when there were huge changes in my personal life, I hired coaches. Yeah. You know, um, Hey, you know, I'm very open about this stuff. It's like, well, I was married for 12 years and now I'm not going to be married anymore. What do I do? I hired a coach because I don't want to fly into that blind. Gosh, no way. Right. Um, when I left my full-time job and started my business and I was only in my own business, I hired coaches. I joined mastermind groups because I needed people to tell me what's around the bend. A course I've purchased when it was a swipe file or it was a clear skill that I knew I would go to market in uh, with in the next 45 days. If I knew I didn't have time to do it, I didn't buy it. One of the earliest best courses I took was a Facebook ads course by Amy Porterfield. I look back on it now, wasn't earth shattering knowledge. I know all that stuff now, but at the time I had no idea how to do Facebook ads. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to in the next 45 days. So I took the course, my podcast course. I bought that because I knew within 30 days I would launch a podcast. So a course was for something I would implement in the next 45 days, a clear skill. Right. And then, um, contractors. Oh my God. I would just hire those when I knew I didn't have time. So there are three very distinct reasons that I invest in those three different things. And I think this is my long winded way of finally getting to this point. We buy a course hoping it will, it will result in the same thing that only coaching can get for us. Yes. Or vice versa. Right. I join a coaching program, but I don't know what to say on my website. Guess what? That's not a coaching job. That's buy a template, buy a swipe file. So I think we get that mixed up and that's a huge way of getting the way of yourself. So be free, everybody. <laughs> but I love, be free. I love the openness you have about investing. I'm very open about the things I invest in. I, I take courses when I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And I want to, I want the best person to teach me how to do it. And I work mm-hmm. with coaches as well for those same reasons when I'm feeling stuck. Um, but also for me, it's about pushing me to think a bit bigger because I often mm-hmm. roll it back. Um, so it's nice to have someone who goes, no, 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 let's, let's make this a bigger because you can do this. So mm-hmm. that's nice. Um, but I love how many communities we have as copywriters now. Kate and I often laugh, you know, in the olden days when we got started, there weren't <laughs> any communities. Everyone was just like, hands up, don't copy my work. No, I'm not going right. to share anything with you. And I love how much support the copywriting community has for each other now because we feel like, well, it's true, we lift the standard of the whole industry mm-hmm. if we're all helping each other get better, which I think is great. But I guess uh, one other thing I really take took away is don't buy something to validate what you think you already know. Just go and do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know all the things, then fill the gaps. But validation purchases don't make us feel very good. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So what to wrap up with, what I wanted to um, ask you is kind of, and this is probably a really big question, but it's about the idea of unique. Like Kate and I always say, you don't have to be unique. You know, there's no, actually being completely different to everyone else makes your marketing really tough. But what would you say to copywriters who are struggling with the idea of like, how do I build something around me that is actually different? Because otherwise we're all 
creative copywriters that convert and we write clever copy that sells and like we have these same things that you see everywhere. What would you say to someone struggling with that friction? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I would view it like this. I think that's where brand comes in. So we might think like, oh, I sound like the same as everybody else out there. But the, the reality is like 90% of what works for other people is going to work for you because it's proven. Like having clear messaging, having a, having, um, heart behind your message, being, being very clear on what it is that you do for your clients. That works because it just works. The last 10% is what makes you different. Mm -hmm. And if, if you do the 90% and do a good job on setting that up, then you can focus on the 10%. I admit, and I just, I just, I would tell them to their face. I'm like, you're a fool. You know, you're a fool. Like, here's the story. Um, he shall go unnamed has a huge conference in the online space, huge conference. I remember when he started it out like five years ago and he was doing this while working a full-time job. I'm like, dude, grow an email list, grow an email list. You could coach so many people, quit your life sucking day job, coach people and work on this conference full-time, which till this, till this day now is like a 6,000 person conference. And he goes, I am going to prove that you can grow a business like this without growing an email list. I don't need to do that. And I'm like, you are just a stubborn fool. Like this is the people say this because it works. If you just do what works, then you can focus the last 10% on what really makes you different for four years. People would be shocked. They would never have believed that this guy, when 3,500 people were coming to their conference was still working a day job. Thing, and it was foolish. It was stupid, just foolish, right? So I'd share that story, big idea, story, solution, right? So here's yeah. the solution, right? Do what works, set up your landing pages, have a good home page, have, a, have a, at least one good social media channel that you're doing a good job on. That You don't have to overcook the egg. Just, just get it out there. Um, do interviews, get your good headshot, right? All that stuff. And then once that's in place, set it and forget it. And then work on storytelling and then work on how people perceive you. Um, you know, I don't talk about this a lot because people don't ask good questions, but Belinda, you do. Right. Um, so people have asked, Mike, how did you differentiate yourself uh, in the marketplace? Okay. First of all, there are some things that I worked on really hard, but there are other things I was just born with and I couldn't control those things, but I looked at what things I had on the plus side of the ledger and other things that I didn't have on the plus side of the ledger, right? First of all, I can be completely politically incorrect here, but it's okay because I'm talking about myself. I'm Asian. People think Asian people are smart. That is just an automatic assumption. <laughs> and you've got they glasses do. as well. So and I wear glasses <laughs> from time to time. I wear glasses when it's important, right? Or when my, my eyes just hurt. But People think Asian people are smart. So I'm like, well, I know they're not going to think I'm a dummy. And as long as I'm somewhat well kept, um, I don't look like a slob. I'm going to be really honest here. If I look like a slob, people would say, look at that dirty Asian guy. And I can laugh about that and say that because I'm Asian. But it's, I can also laugh about because Asian people say that about each other. Yeah. 
So <laughs> I'm giving you guys a whole insight. We're going to a politically incorrect world here, but I love it, right? Because this is marketing. This is un- honestly, this is marketing. Okay. And so um, I know that that's a plus side. Uh, I'm big. I'm a tall guy. Like for just normal people, I'm six foot three, let alone for an Asian person. And I hear that all the time. You're really tall for an Asian guy. I'm like, I think that's kind of racist because if you said that about every, any other nationality, it would be offensive. But yeah, we can still pick on Asians. It's okay. But in all seriousness, because I know that, I've, had, I've learned to use that to my advantage. So when I meet people in person, I stand up straight. I will. I don't shy away and cringe because as a tall person, if I'm hunched over all the time and I always had bad posture, I'm going to look like I don't exude confidence. Mm-hmm. So that's a plus side of the ledger for me. Um, I can, um, I, I, I'm well-mannered. I, I present myself. So all of these are good things. Let me give you a story on the flip side of the things because I don't want you to think that it's all just physical stuff that we're talking about, right? I had a client um, years ago he was in one of my coaching programs. And I got to know him really well. And he said, Mike, I want to be like XYZ, ABC, really super famous internet entrepreneur. And I said, okay, in, in love, time out. Hold on. It's just he and I one-on-one. You know I love you, but I got I to gotta give you the truth here. First of all, those guys are like 29 years old and they are really good looking dudes. Okay? They're really good looking guys. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying that they have certain things working in their favor that we need to discuss from a marketing standpoint. I said, you are 58 years old. You have a name that if I gave a random person on the street 10 times to spell correctly, would never be able to spell it. He he had a different ethnic background. Yeah. And I just said, we're just looking at this, you know, for what it is. Okay. Don't. And then, but I also said to him, but you're Indian. So people know you're smart. They think you're, God, and I, I'm Korean. They think that we're smart. You and I, okay. Secondly, you built the first cell phone tower at this huge telecom company. And third, you love productivity. And that's what he actually wanted his blog and platform to be about. So you're telling me I can learn productivity hacks from the guy who built the first cell phone tower at this globally recognized company and he's Indian, sign me up. Just make your blog site like productivityhackhq.com or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, you know, tying back to what we all talked about at the beginning, do you name the brand after yourself? If your name is easy to remember, sure. In this gentleman's case, I really wanted the best for him, really. But I had to kind of break those myths and capitalize on what he had. Mm-hmm. And so to his credit, he said, I've never thought about it this way. This is why I hired you. Let me run with this. And he started becoming an affiliate marketer for SaaS programs and apps that he loved. And he did it. He did it. Nice. And if he didn't have that kind of insight, he would have been chasing the same dream down the wrong path. Yeah. And he maybe never would have gotten there. So that little 10% that makes us different is what I call personal brand. Mm -hmm. That is your personality, your voice, your look, your demeanor. Um, It doesn't have to be well-kept, well-kept. You know, look at Boris Johnson from the UK. 
Okay, the prime minister. That guy, I swear, he does that with his hair on purpose. I will bet my life savings. It has to be. It has to be. There's no way. There's no way he rolls out of bed with his hair like that and just shows up to work. It is it is an intentional thing to make him just look a little bit frazzled or hardworking or a little bit out there. And it disarms people from taking him as seriously as they maybe should. Mm-hmm. But it's in a tactical way. Uh, one more example, because I talk about this for, for days. There's a copywriter who I, whose work I absolutely admire. Uh, his name is Bob Bly. Mm-hmm. You go on Bob's website, it looks like it was created in 1995. Still until this day. You look at his headshot, it's him in a dark office. He looks like he just woke up. He's in this, you know, ugly, like, you know, $12 button down. And he looks like all he does all day is sit in his writing cave and write badass copy. That's his brand. That is 1000% intentional. Yeah. He wants to be known as I'm the guy in the cave who doesn't want to be Dan Kennedy or um, Gary Halbert and speak at conferences and own a private jet. I'm the guy you want writing your copy because there's nothing else I'm going to do, including taking a shower. And I don't mean that Bob doesn't take a shower. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm using this as an example of I was shocked when I first saw this headshot, but immediately I understood. Yeah. That's the guy I want doing my research and copy, you know? So there you go. It, I love that. that that's and I, I think, you know, when you're doing that, um, I like your, the assets and the things that aren't assets that you didn't really, there's not a reign of negativity around that. I think um, mm. you also have to be realistic. Like you can't say, oh, I don't look very nice just because that's your negative self dialogue. I think you have to be um, positive and kind to yourself and realistic and not just put things in a negative um, column mm-hmm. yes. because you may be a little awkward about moving them or acknowledging them as actual assets. Yeah. And, and I want to just say one more thing about all that because this is really important. The first time that you do get a photo shoot or the first time that you do a webinar, the first time that you do a product launch, you are going to see yourself in a way you never saw yourself before. And that's the power of doing those things. I I remember the first time I got those photos back from my, my photographer or my designer, he's brilliant, would design a product page for something I was creating, completely blew me out of the water. And it helped me see myself in a way I never could have seen before. Regardless of how many positive affirmations I spoke, how much meditation and centering I did, that's the value of great art, of great creativity. And guys, we do this for our clients. When we write amazing copy for them, we help them see themselves in a way that they never could have before. And that's why it's so important when we talk about a personal brand that we invest in those things for ourselves. Things that are going to change your self-image, not because you need it to believe it in yourself, but because it just changes the way you see it. And that's so important. So, so important. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Um, All the feels for all of this. Um, Thank you so much. (laughs) Now, where can people find you and what have you got coming up? 
Um, people can find me on my podcast. You're all listening on a podcast anyway. Just hop over to mine. It's called Brand You Podcast. It's all about personal branding. Uh, I have a huge heart for those of us who are speakers, coaches, freelancers, consultants. Um, that fits the bill for all of us here. So it's all about personal branding. And uh, I have a free three video little boot camp that helps you on that side of things. So just go to mikekim.com forward slash boot camp. Uh, I go a little bit more in depth into the PB3 and the kind of people you want to attract little workbook that goes with it. it's totally free. Um, it's gotten some really, really great, great feedback on it. So uh, I'd be happy to send you guys there and just take what works and, and use it for your own good. I want to see everybody win. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much for having, uh, sharing all this stuff, Mike. It was very generous and I've kept you much longer than I said I would. So um, I just want to thank you again. And I'll let you get on with your day. Total pleasure. Total pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Regular listeners will know that this is when I read out a review and Kate reads out a review of someone who's given the show a little bit of loving. And today that person is Lizzie McCauley. And Lizzie says, as a mum of two youngsters, one and three, I'm usually saddled with wiggled filled car journeys at the every turn. Oh my God, I feel for you, Lizzie. Yeah, me too. Discovering the Hot Copy podcast has been a game changer in more ways than I can count. Goodbye, Wiggles. Hello, smart, witty, professional advice that has really shaped how I approach setting up my own service in regional Queensland. We've worked through nearly the entire catalogue in the last month or so, and it's my suspicion that Kate and Belinda's tips are shaping too many writers as well. Thank you both for all you do and keep up the fantastic work. Well, thank you, Lizzie. I feel that so much about not having control of what is being listened to, but I love that we're shaping two little mini writers. Yes. So thank you for listening as well if you like this show and it was a good one. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We could read your review out at the show. You can also go to the Facebook page for the Hot Copy Podcast. We have a review tabs there. And if you've got any thoughts or comments on this episode with Mike Kim, go to hotcopypodcast.com and find this episode. There's going to be all the links that we talked about, links to find, um, Mike and that boot camp, it's all going to be there. So thank you for tuning in. And until next time, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.